Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. I'm Paul Evans. As the COVID-19 crisis continues, in this week's episode, we stick with the subject of the crimes, scams and frauds emerging from the pandemic. In the previous episode, we heard about how the lockdown is affecting trading standards and the ways in which fraudsters are seeking to exploit the situation. This week, we speak with Ben Russell, Deputy Director of the Economic Crime Centre at the National Crime Agency. We discuss how his organisation is working alongside other enforcers, including trading standards, to protect the public during these difficult times. In a conversation which, as you'll hear, was recorded via web conferencing, Ben discussed a recent case in which individuals were arrested for fraudulently selling coronavirus testing kits, the worrying rise in so-called courier scams, and how online retail fraud is a subject of increasing concerns. Ben also spoke about the need now more than ever for enforcers to work together to confront a common enemy and some of the more positive potential outcomes from the COVID-19 crisis. He started by giving us a run-through of what the National Crime Agency is all about. Hi, my name's Ben Russell. Uh, I'm the Deputy Director at the National Economic Crime Centre, which is part of the National Crime Agency. So the National Economic Crime Centre um, leads the UK's fight to stop uh, serious organised uh, financial crime. So we are mainly focused on fraud, money laundering, um, bribery and corruption, and mm. reducing harm to the UK from uh, serious financial crime. As part of the National Crime Agency, we're also a multi-agency uh, body, so we represent the Financial Conduct Authority, the HMRC, the Serious Fraud Office, uh, the Crown Prosecution Service and City of London Police as the uh, policing lead for fraud as well as the NCA. So we have uh, policing, regulators, national crime agency, law enforcement, and also we work really closely with um, the private sector, including the banks. So we're a multi-agency body working to stop crime. I know the NCA recently arrested two individuals who were selling fake testing kits. Were you involved with that? And could you give us a bit of the background? Yes, yeah, so um, we're really concerned about criminals who think that a national crisis is the time to make some money and to defraud vulnerable people in particular. So we've got a specific piece of work where we're working really closely with City of London Police, with um, the Medicines Healthcare Regulatory Agency, and um, with a range of other partners across government to identify where we think or uh, people are selling. So it's it's medical equipment and also things that are hard to get hold of. <laughs> So uh, or where there's a public health risk, and I don't, I, when I say things that are hard to get hold of, I don't mean toilet roll. We're talking about where there's a public health risk. So if, you, if you're buying PPE or you're buying hand sanitizer or you're buying what you believe to be a testing kit, or even in some circumstances, we've got people who believe they're buying medical cures. And some of that is regulatory offences. So you're mislabeling, uh, for example, and some of that is a criminal offence. Um, right. And uh, we are working, uh, looking across what people are selling on the Internet of what we're getting through crime reports, um, what we are uh, seeing coming into the UK across the border, and identifying leads and working to identify the criminals who are who are trying to take advantage of that situation, and also where we can to protect working particularly with trading standards and with the police to protect the vic- potential victims who mm-hmm. uh, maybe who, who need that advice and support, and maybe told that the equipment they might have bought previously was faulty, or being mm-hmm. given advice on how to check before you buy. In that specific instance, uh, we're talking about a pharmacist, which I think is particularly concerning, given the profession, and a surveyor who uh, were um, selling um, that kit. And what we're able to do 
is uh, identify them and move quite quickly because it strikes us that it's relatively unlikely that these purchases that we identify are one-off and they're probably mm. people who are trying to repeatedly scam the public. So we try and move quite quickly. Often the starting point is a referral from a member of the public or a crime report that someone sends into action fraud. So um, right. we are we have a daily uh, link in with the, with the National Fraud Intelligence Bureau and City of London Police. We're looking at every day, every referral that comes in relating to COVID-19 assessing the risk, assessing the harm and and looking at what action can be taken. So we are taking these reports very seriously. These testing kits that were were seized, were they something which was sort of repurposed? Was it something which already existed and, and, you know, being missold as a coronavirus testing kit? Or or was it something which had been kind of quickly put together and, and kind of rushed out by these people? In general, we're broadly seeing three things. The first is medical equipment that's being repurposed or resold in order to try and increase its value. So another form of test and someone suddenly claims it's a COVID test. The second thing is just um, is simply nonsense equipment that is no way capable of testing anything and is just being sold and put in a box and hoping that someone's going to pay for it. Um, And the third thing that we're seeing is what appears to potentially be uh, could, could be equipment that could in some way be useful testing but has not gone through any sort of approved regulatory process and there are obviously different risks associated with those three different categories we will take the equipment we'll seize it under our powers and then we'll work particularly with a specialist like mhra to get Mm -hmm. evidential statements where their specialists will say we've analyzed this equipment and we believe either the individual is making a misleading statement or this equipment is potentially dangerous i mean another interesting example and it's slightly different but we work with city of london police who um who we, we had some intelligence that we shared, and within three hours, they arrested an individual who was posting chemicals, sending people chemicals through the post, very dangerous chemicals, and telling mm. people if they swallowed this stuff, if they uh, kind of used it like mouthwash and spat it out, that would help them cure their COVID-19. And, uh, you know, again, we're, we're not, we're, those chemicals are being kind of reviewed by experts, but if it is what, what we think it is, then that's kind of potentially like uh, life, you know, mm. really, really dangerous stuff. So there's all sorts of stuff happening out there. Criminals are adaptable and they will quickly try and take advantage of whatever situation they can. Obviously, there's the aspect of people trying to sell potentially dangerous or, or fraudulent goods, but there's also an aspect of, of individuals posing as, as healthcare workers or as experts. Is, is that something that's on your on your radar? I'm not personally aware of any examples of people pretending to be nurses or doctors. For us, we mainly get it'll, it'll be mainly whether there's a kind of finance, whether there's the strong financial link. So it's more yeah. what we're seeing is more just mass targeting of individuals with messages saying buy this or click on this link. And they will often criminals will use an uh, will use an existing brand to try and look more um, look more legitimate. How many situations or cases have you come across? of criminals trying to exploit the situation more generally, not necessarily by pretending to be selling testing kits or posing as, as healthcare workers, but just trying to, to gain access to, to, to people's information or, or people's lives through, through the lockdown? It's a really good question. The thing that I think is concerning is that is the continuation of courier fraud as a, as a type of fraudulent offence. So, so courier fraud pre-lockdown tended to be where someone would uh, act on behalf and say I'm contacting you on your behalf of your bank. There's a problem with your your debit card and you need to give it back to us. And they turn up at your house as a as a courier and say well, I'm you know I'm here from the on behalf of the bank as your courier. Give us your card. Oh and please can you tell me your PIN number? That's an example. It can also be as extreme as we've seen some particularly vulnerable people who've been told that they have to physically come with the criminal to the bank 
and right. attend the bank in, uh, go to the bank in person and move money from one account to another because their account is unsafe. And then you get some very, really concerning offences, in particular the physical contact, the, the kind of uh, face-to-face contact between the victim and the offender, which I think is quite concerning. And we had expected that for obvious reasons in lockdown to be something that would, you know, hopefully disappear. We've actually seen 130 cases reported to City of London and we're working really closely with the city to understand what that, what's happening. So we've seen some differences in ways of working. So for example, couriers are saying to the victims, I leave your card at the bottom of the road and, you know, you have to stay two meters apart so you won't physically see me, but please leave your credit card, credit card there and I'll pick it up or something. But the Mm -hmm. fact that these offenses continue, our understanding was also that sometimes the criminal groups physically travel around the country in, in how they operate. So they'll target a specific part of the country. And again, that movement, it would obviously be something that's concerning. So we're working quite hard uh, with uh, City of London Police and with local forces to try and understand what that offending looks like and what we can do to target it. Back in January, we did quite a targeted piece of work uh, led by the city with ourselves and the National Economic Crime Centre and police forces target courier fraud uh, serious organized criminal groups who made a number of arrests great case which sticks to mind is an individual who attended a bank along with the criminal and saw a poster that we'd put in saying you know be aware of courier fraud and he realized what's happening and left the bank and called the police so um we can have an impact and we can make a difference but the fact that this is concerning the fact that these offenses are continuing with 130 since lockdown lockdown began i think is is quite concerning um, and we take we take each one of those offences seriously. More broadly, the types of offences we're seeing are more in the space of phishing and smishing and people sending text messages to the public and phishing emails asking you to click on a link. Um, uh, Karen Baxter from City of London was on was on was on Channel Four earlier today talking about emails that people were getting sent emails telling them they got free Tesco vouchers. Yeah. Right. I would right. repeat the message that she said, which is, if it looks too good to be true, it's probably probably not true. Have you come across many sort of new types of scams? There's always been kind of phishing scams in general, but one, one that springs to mind or a potential area of concern that springs to mind is around the fact that so many children now are, are using technology to, to access education, which raises potential issues in terms of things like subscription traps and, and, and children being tricked into giving over their parents' credit cards. That's not something um, we've seen in significant numbers to date, Although it might be that it's not being reported to the same extent. Also, with subscription fraud, there's a chance that you might not realise it initially, potentially. And what we have seen is an increase in, probably unsurprisingly, an increase in online shopping fraud. Right. Particularly purchasing goods that don't arrive. Um, And I think also, from a kind of psychological perspective, the increase in charity fraud and donation fraud is quite concerning. And individuals, uh, you know, pretending to be collecting money on behalf of the NHS and other charities and simply not doing that. Um, yes. Yeah. W- relatively low levels of charity fraud generally, but we have seen a significant increase, but that's still mm. comparative to other fraud types. It's still relatively low level. Is there anything that you're looking ahead to on the horizon that might be a, a cause for concern? If the lockdown, let's say, is to continue for another another few weeks, another another month or so at least, is, is there anything that you're, you're, you're seeing as a potential thing which could, could arise? In terms of what we think could happen, there's two things that we are concerned about. And the first is around individuals and criminal groups in particular trying to take advantage of the government support schemes. Right. And trying yeah. to defraud universal credit, HMRC and other schemes, small business loans, individuals. That's an area of concern. 
The second area that I think we are expecting, we haven't seen a big rise yet, but we're wondering as to whether there may be a rise going forward in investment fraud. You know, some individuals are obviously maybe struggling in the current situation. These tend to be the kind of circumstances in which one sees investment products offering eye-wateringly high rates of return. People may take risks that otherwise they wouldn't have. And investment fraud can be an area of concern. Boiler rooms operating those kind of frauds. Um, in particular, mm-hmm. we work really closely with the Financial Conduct Authority to track the reporting of those offences. Investment mm-hmm. fraud is something that we're really focused on, and we believe that there are organised groups behind it. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's this idea sometimes, I think mistakenly, with fraud that they're seen as kind of individuals that just sort of try things on and see what happens. A significant mm-hmm. element of this, we believe, is, is led by organised criminal mm-hmm. enterprises who are in a highly professional and organised and ruthless way targeting the public. Mm-hmm. And investment fraud uh, in particular is one way that we know they do that. So we are mm-hmm. concerned about a potential future rise in investment fraud and we are doing what we can to track and trace uh, in particular those individuals and groups that we think may be behind it. Um, it mm-hmm. could all be also be an area where if all being well, when the lockdown ends, is that going to be a time at which there is suddenly an increase at that stage of people suddenly spending mm-hmm. their money in a different way? So I would say targeting the government's uh, schemes and investment flaws are two areas that are of concern for us going forward. It looks incredibly likely that there's going to be a significant period of economic hardship when this is well, not, not even when it's over, you know, as it, as, as it continues. Do you, do you think that that's likely to lead to a, a rise in, in criminal activity across the board? It's very difficult to predict criminal trends because on the one hand, sometimes when the economy is very strong, <laughs> that's good for criminals. Um, right. And, you know, and sometimes when the economy is very weak, that's good for criminals. Uh, and it's different parts of the system. And it's about, I think, how criminals, particularly organised crime, is able to be agile and move quite quickly from one area to another. One of the things that... Um, it's common in times of financial hardship is people promoting kind of stay at home, work from home kind of jobs. And, you know, you see adverts online and on land posts and all over the place saying work, you know, easy money, work for this number of hours. And it's uh, and many of them are just money laundering schemes, money mules, criminal groups, particularly drugs, gangs. And often there's a link to violent offenders in there somewhere who are using you know, potentially potentially unwitting or potentially complicit individuals just as a bank account to move money and launder their cash. And that's something that uh, some people, I think, believe may be victimless or may be risk, low risk. Actually, mm. uh, it's not that hard for us to trace that. We see the money moving and you may find that, you know, individuals may find that they get arrested, but the, you know, the serious organized criminals behind it are harder to track. So I think people would mistakenly sometimes think that that is victimless and they won't get caught. That's an area that I think we would be concerned around if we're seeing, you know, in times of unemployment, that becomes can become more appealing for some people. Do you have any sense of, of, of where a lot of these these crimes, particularly the online ones, are originating? In terms of the origination of, of these offences, we we know it's a mix. So particularly mm. online, it tends to be that the kind of cyber attacks will originate from overseas. The the malware and the hacking and the network intrusion and the ransom demands and um, you know in links embedded in emails much of that will you know could originate from eastern europe or russia or, or overseas but the way in which that then gets used by criminals to target individuals with personally you know socially engineered messaging or through fraud, online messaging or fraud tends to be more uk based more focused so it really depends on the offense courier fraud obviously requires a, a as i said requires a, a physical presence in the uk and then 
you've got boiler rooms uh, set up both in the UK and Spain and all over the world, really, that are targeting people across the globe. One thing that we have seen is a reduction in computer service fraud. So um, that tends to be quite focused out of India. Uh, Indian fraudulent call centers effectively are calling up members of the public saying that they're calling, you know, your computer, there's a problem with your computer and they're using that to ask people to try, you know, pass money out their online banking or download malware. Um, yeah. Given the lockdown in India, that there's been a reduction of that crime being reported in the UK. I think it also shows the global nature of this, because as different countries come out of their lockdown in different stages, it's also hard to predict what will happen in the UK, depending on where those offences are coming from. The kind of places we're looking at are what happens in Spain, what's happening in India, uh, how does um, lockdown in, the, in different parts of the US affect what's happening all over the world. This is a fast-moving uh, global situation, the likes of which we've never really seen before. Do you have any sense of, of how it's affecting the, the physical importing of goods? I'm thinking specifically in terms of trading standards about things like counterfeits, but then uh, these things are often sort of linked to bigger organised crime outfits and could potentially involve things like illicit drug smuggling as well. Has has, has the, the lockdown had a significant effect on on the movement of goods in and out of ports? The National Crime Agency has seen quite, a, working with our partners, we've seen quite a significant change in activity at, at ports and borders. Clearly, mm. traffic is down, particularly at airports, of course. Um, but yeah. what we're seeing is organised criminals using cover loads of uh, PPE and of uh, personal protection equipment and move, making movements uh, that appear more legitimate because it's easier to stick out like a full thumb right now. There are few, you know, there's less need to transfer lots of cash. <laughs> um, there are, you know, less right. critical equipment and goods and services are just not moving as much. So what we're seeing, particularly for drug scans, is attempts to use cover loads of, you know, whatever it may be, hand sanitizer, face masks in order to hide the drugs because they, there's a sense that maybe it's more likely that those goods will be moving. My sense is that the, in that way, that the current situation is making it hard for criminals because uh, there's less movement. It's harder, you know, criminals prefer to put, well, many criminals prefer to hide in, in plain sight. Yeah. So um, the current situation could make it more difficult. Do you have any any sort of key pieces of advice that you would give to, to trading standards officers or, or people working in other areas of enforcement about ways of sharing information and, and of, of, of tackling some of these issues that we've, we've, we've been discussing? Yeah, I think now more than ever, we're showing that at a national level, we're really taking reports that are coming through to us very seriously and we're working really hard to share information. I know that sometimes we've had information. We've had people saying to us, "Oh, you know, if I report to Action Fraud, what happens? If I, you know, what does it what does it mean to report to a bank or trading standards?" And actually, we are sharing nationally across all the law enforcement bodies, even across intelligence agencies, across trading standards. We're sharing information. We're looking at patterns and trends, and we're reacting to individual reports. I think certainly in the time that I've been doing this, in a way now more than ever before. The first thing I'd say is there's a real value in reporting and encouraging people to report. Um, what they're seeing, particularly if they believe there's a crime. And secondly, um, that I, I know there's really stre- there is real stretch on policing and law enforcement resources at this time, but we are prioritising this work. So mm. I don't think enforcement officers should assume that if they go to the police or other partners looking for help and support with intelligence sharing or, or kind of progressing an investigation that you know they're, they're, they'll get a no thanks, we're too busy. Um, mm. Particularly in the National Crime Agency, we are taking this work very seriously. I know that City of London Police is a, is a Lead force of fraud are doing the same, so we are stand ready to provide that support. And I think there's also something around providing consistent messaging on how people can protect themselves. 
I think in the past we've been slightly guilty of, of giving quite mixed messages on how individuals should protect themselves. There's such a wealth of information and public protection advice across fraud and cyber and online and child protection advice online and online shopping. Mm. But I think it can be confusing for some people. What we're trying to do in the National Economic Crime Centre is provide and bring everyone together to provide one very clear message to the public through lots of different channels, through trading standards, through the police, through, um, you know, we've, we we uh, used the, the Home Secretary spoke at one of the five o'clock uh, briefings that the, minister, the ministerial teams do um, mm. on the news and spoke about fraud and get out the messages, you know, the same stuff that we always talk about, stop, challenge, protect, take five, um, you know, all, all the cybersecurity advice in the National Cybersecurity Centre that makes such a big difference. Mm. But we're just trying to do it in a really, really consistent way. So um, the National Economic Crime Centre and the NCA, we're working with particularly national trading standards to agree one simple campaign plan on what we're going to tell the public, how we're going to communicate it, what we want to tell people. I would say, please join us if you're going out and talking to members of the public. Um, let us know what you're, what you're doing and what you're saying and what your feedback is that you're getting. Do you think this, this situation will, will have a, a permanent effect on how enforcement works together and, and this sort of idea of mutual support and, and collaboration across different different aspects of, of enforcement? Yeah, I think I think that the, the two positives for me are firstly that crime is down, which is a big right. positive. In the last yeah. few weeks we have seen overall a reduction in reported fraud. Um, now that's slowly starting to creep up almost to pre lockdown levels, not quite. But it's definitely a positive that fraud uh, fraud is down and crime is down. Very good. Uh, but we would expect that during a significant lockdown. Yeah. And the second positive, as you say, is um, that we are working together, I think, as a community closer than ever, better than ever on a daily, sometimes hourly uh, basis to share information, work together, give the public a really, really consistent message in these in these difficult times about what they can do to protect themselves. And I think that is a big positive. Is it possible that when the lockdown ends, crime could go back up again? Possibly. Um, but I, mm. don't, I think we don't know when that will be. We don't know what yeah. that will look like in the interim. Yeah. The fact that fraud and other crimes are continuing to be down sounds to me like a good thing. And that's it for another episode. Thanks to Ben Russell for talking to us and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with more from the world of trading standards. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.